Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Here fills the need for a vacation. Yes, yes. Something more than just getting out of town for a quick few hours or even a quick day, but something that allows us to wake up when we want, eat what we want because calories don't count out of town, getting away from it all so that we can do whatever we want, however we want, any time of the day. I know that I'm feeling the need for a vacation. I don't get out of town a whole lot. It's very rare. In almost 13 years of marriage, uh, my wife Beck and I have gone out of town on a vacation very rarely. Uh, once to Hawaii, but let's be honest, that's because her parents were generous and they helped us get there. But in 2019, Beck and I went to New Orleans for a week. You know, and it's one of those things that not only is it a different, a different time zone, it just felt like time moved differently. Uh, it was slow and we never had to be anywhere at a certain time. We took our week there at a slow pace. Let's be honest, so did the rest of the city. I was never woken up by fellow tourists. Our hotel was quiet. Uh, it was laid back, and people just did their own thing. We never had to make reservations anywhere. We just showed up, especially to Cafe Du Monde. Uh, we would stroll up there to that open-air bistro and try to stuff as many uh, beignets in our mouth as possible. Okay, I tried to stuff as many beignets in my mouth as possible. Becca is a lady. She did not do that. Um, but, you know, it's, it was one of those things that um, every time, because we may have eaten there every day, every time we were at Cafe Du Monde, people would just show up. They would congregate outside and start playing jazz. And I loved it. I enjoy jazz anyway, and, and we caught the band there at Preservation Hall but there's something about live musicians that are just playing at their leisure. They're ordinary people. They're, they're not trained. They just they do their own thing. Um, and while we sat there multiple times, I thought how awesome it would be to live in New Orleans and have free jazz all the time. And that's just kind of how our week went. We went to the places that everyone recommended. We ate the best red beans and rice that I've ever had. We heard the best music. We experienced the humidity, and I had to wear shorts, and that was not fun. I blinded a lot of people, but it's okay. Um, but the week that we had, the, the week that we experienced, I thought we lived there. Um, it felt like we lived there. It felt like we belonged. And I didn't see why it should be any other way. But then reality began to sink in. I was about to have to go back to my normal life, my normal job, have my normal rhythms, my patterns. And how unfair is that? I mean, I'm on vacation and this should be the new norm. Have you ever felt that way while you're on vacation? Have you ever thought, why do I have to go back to this old way of living? This new place is perfect. I don't remember if it was the drive back or if it was when we got home, but it occurred to me, the way that we were living that week was not truly living. You see, Beck and I experienced all of these things in New Orleans, but it wasn't as residents. 
it was as tourists. Even as much as we went to local hotspots and we were doing everything that the locals were doing, we were doing it as temporary inhabitants, not as permanent ones. Everything we did that week was at our leisure. Nothing was ever a pattern or a habit. We did these things for fun at our convenience, and that's the problem. The experience that we had in New Orleans couldn't be sustained. It was fun, but it couldn't be sustained. If we lived in New Orleans, we'd have a very different experience. Why is that? It's because while we enjoyed certain benefits of the city, we didn't have responsibilities that week. When the hurricanes come, we're not responsible for cleanup. When potholes need to be fixed, we're not paying the taxes to fix it. When change needs to happen in the city, we're not voting people in or out of office to make that change. We may have felt like we belonged, but the reality is we didn't. We were tourists and not residents. And as I've reflected on what that means as a Christian, to grow in spiritual maturity, I'm afraid that I often take my own formation in the pattern of a tourist. I sometimes try to engage church or my spiritual disciplines like someone who's on vacation, doing things at my leisure rather than a citizen who has ownership and responsibility. And maybe that's something that you're aware of or you should be aware of. In your own life, do you approach your attendance on Sunday mornings or to life group as something that you get to do only when it doesn't inconvenience you? Do you treat your spiritual disciplines, uh, those habits that help you, con- that help you connect to God, um, as a leisurely activity? My hope today is that uh, we all see that we bear weight and responsibility as Christians to grow constantly and not just occasionally. Why is that? It's because in the kingdom of God, there are no tourists, only residents. Last week, Pastor Kevin uh, asked and then answered the question, should I follow God? Through Isaiah 43, we see that the answer is a clear and emphatic yes. Yes, I should follow God. And with that answer, it hopefully leads us to the next question, am I following God? Today, my goal is to help us understand how to answer that question through Scripture. By using the Psalms, I believe that we can see a clear biblical view of what it means to take inventory of our lives and to answer truthfully if we're following God. You see, uh, over the last several years, I've noticed myself uh, going back to the Psalms over and over and over again. Uh, Former pastor, theologian, John Calvin, he lived a long time ago, He called the Psalms essentially the anatomy book of the soul. Every emotion, every circumstance, every feeling that we have as people are recorded in the Psalms for us. They're relatable. And through the lens of Christ, we can see how we are to live and our response to God. And so that's why today we'll be in the Psalms. In fact, we're going to look at Psalm 63 to answer the question, am I following God? This psalm is is stated um, at the very beginning. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. The Bible reveals to us there are two, at least two times that David was in the wilderness. One, when Saul was after him. And secondly, when Absalom was trying to take over the kingdom. Now, if you've been following along in the church Bible reading plan, we've recently covered this section in 2 Kings. It's my belief 
that because of verse 11, David wrote this psalm during the period when Absalom was seeking the kingdom. But here's the thing. Ultimately, it doesn't matter when it was written. What matters is the truth that it contains. The fact of the matter is, David has trust and faith in God. And the way that David follows God his entire life is shown for us here in Psalm 63. So if you have your Bible and you haven't already turned to Psalm 63 or follow along on the screens, but Psalm 63 reads, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the earth, into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. When you wake up in the morning, do you have a dry mouth? Do you find yourself thirsting for a drink of water? I know I do two times. One, right now. Every, every time I get up in front of people and talk, my mouth is always dry. But two, more specifically, what I have written down is that uh, lately, for the last month or so, I've been using a CPAP machine for sleep apnea. And I have this little mask that goes over my nose, and it keeps my mouth free. The forced air is good for me to continue breathing as I sleep, but every once in a while, I find myself with, stuffy, with a stuffy nose, with allergies, and I tend to open my mouth. Um, and the forced air continues through that machine, uh, but it gives me a dry mouth. And I, whenever I wake up in the morning, I cannot wait to get a drink of water. And it's that feeling that I think of whenever I read verse 1. David has fled Jerusalem. He's no longer near the Ark of the Covenant or the public worship of God with his people. And David expresses how much, how much he misses worshiping God with the fellow Israelites, and it's causing him to feel dry and parched. David loves God so much that he is thirsting for God as a body would thirst for water in a dry land. David continues in, chapter, or in verse 2 to say that he has seen the glory of God at rest in God's sanctuary, and he's missing that experience. David desires to be at public worship so that he can experience the fullness of worship and relationship with God. David is not content on missing out on public worship for even a little bit, even though that his life is in danger. He longs for and deeply desires to be around other Israelites for the worship of God. David understands that while each person is to account for a personal faith in God, we are not called to an individualized faith. God saves people, not just one person. And so as I read this psalm this week, I was struck by the thought, when I miss a Sunday with the church, do I say that I feel dry and thirsty because I missed worship with God's people? Or do I treat it as just another day? Do I long to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ? 
or do I rejoice at this newfound free time? In the New Testament, we see in Hebrews 10.25 that it tells us that we should not neglect the church's public assembly and worship. It's not merely a suggestion. It's a command that we are to meet together for the reading of Scripture, the preaching of God's Word, the mutual instruction and building up of one another. Maybe an easier way for me to say this is that we are commanded by God to come together and help one another worship God, help one another grow in spiritual maturity. I know that as a result of David's example here in Psalm 63, I don't know my numbers this morning, as a result of Psalm 63, I find myself being challenged to consider how I see Sundays and how I feel about missing experiences with other believers. As I previously mentioned, Beck and I rarely go on vacations, but we do have the opportunity to go out, go out of town from time to time. Um, and typically, uh, we're going to Odessa to, to see family. When we're out of town, we go to the church that we came from previously. Um, and it's because we don't want to miss out on worship. We like to sing with brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ. We like to be encouraged. We like to hear the preaching of God's word. But you want to know something? As much as I love that, we miss being here. It's not the same. I love these people and their brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's not the same as missing worship or being in worship with you. And so, even though that it's rare that we miss a Sunday here, whenever I'm not in this room with you, I feel it. Throughout the next week, my whole week just feels off. Your names, your, your faces pop into my head. Um, I, I begin thinking of you more and missing you more. Um, and you'll notice if I, if I have missed, um, I'll, or at least I've noticed, it, when I miss, I do a lot of texting and calling the next week with, with brothers and sisters here because I miss you. But it's not about me. It's about us. So let me ask you this. When you miss a Sunday, do you find yourself thirsting for worship and fellowship with other Christians? Or do you find yourself content missing Sunday, maybe even multiple Sundays, and, miss time, and not miss the time with other believers? This applies not only to Sunday morning, but to our life group as well that we may be involved in. It applies to the Bible studies that we are committed to. It applies to every commitment we have as a Christian. I believe one of the best ways to determine if we are truly following God or not is if we are missing worship of God alongside other believers. David is missing the worship of God alongside other Israelites. This morning, you are here, whether in person or online, and you are gathered with his people. So praise be to God. But when we do miss, are we missing that time together? The second section of this psalm, verses 3 through 8, shows us David's satisfaction with God. So first we see that David thirsts for God. Now we see David is satisfied with God. Even though that David had just expressed his thirst for God and how David misses being with other believers, David is still satisfied with God because of God's character. As David reflects in this section, it's as if David's thirst is being quenched because God himself is providing it. God's love nourished and refreshed David as a result. We see David's worshipful response. In the six verses in this section, we see David respond with his whole body. 
We see David's lips praise God in verse 3. We see David lift his hands to God in verse 4. We see David again offer words of praise in verse 5. David says that he will meditate or think upon God in verse 6. David sings God's praises in verse 7. And David says that he will cling to God, showing a deep relationship and care for God in verse 8. The worship of God entails David's whole body, his hands, his mouth, his thoughts, and his desires. Satisfaction with God always leads to worship. And while I read this this week, I found myself going, okay, I can do that, I can do that, I'm doing that. The lifting my hands, I'm not so, no, not so good on. Um, but it's something that encourages me as I see you lift your hands, seeing you enamored with God in worship. Um, but my hands will never get above here, so just, just warning y'all. <laughs> this section is not added for sake of length, uh, and it's not unique to David's experience. The Bible tells us that God does not change and that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The reason I highlight this is because the experience that David had with God is open to you and I through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to worship God with our lips, with our hands held high, by meditating on Scripture uh, through a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus. Not only is it available to us, but that is what God earnestly desires for us. And that's primarily accomplished on Sunday mornings as we gather together. But in order to experience these things with God, we can't casually engage God. We can't treat Him like a tourist treats an attraction. We must not engage Him on our own time and at our convenience. We must engage God every day with our entire being. There's too much at stake for ourselves, for our families, for our community, for all eternity, for us to not engage God every moment of every day in every way. David's own son is out to take the kingdom, and what does David do? He doesn't hide, he doesn't sulk. No, David worships. And that's the thing that defines a person who follows God. A person who follows God is satisfied in him and praises and worships God regardless of the situation. We can give God lip service in the good times. We can say nice things about him when things are going easy. But the moment affliction and suffering come, do we still praise God? Or do we reject him because we feel like he's forgotten us or that he's not worthy? I'll be honest, it's easy for me to to feel like God's forgotten me a lot of times. But he hasn't. He invites me to tell him that. He invites me to say, God, I feel like you've forgotten me. Where are you? I, I don't, I don't, experience you. I don't sense you. Where, where are you? Have you forgotten me? And the beautiful thing is, he will listen. He'll comfort me in my affliction. But that's the thing. I have to go to him first and expect that he will comfort me. If all I do is complain, I'm not trusting God. God. And the Psalms are full of complaints to God. But these complaints hinge on a very important part. They hinge on the fact that the psalmist turns their trust over to God, expecting him to act. At other times and in other ways, I've I've mentioned this. The psalms have a a type of psalm, a a type of poetry or song called a lament. Um, And that's where we offer our complaint to God and then expect him to act, trusting him in his goodness and his character. 
That's what a lament is. God invites us to do that. But so often we forget where it hinges, that trusting God part. And so we tend to lament. We just vent the whole time. We tell God how angry we are, how frustrated we are, but we're not trusting Him with our circumstance. And I'm prone to lamenting, trust me. Actually, ask my wife. She can, she can tell you stories. I'm prone to venting. But a part of following God is learning to stop just at the, at the point of giving a complaint, but moving forward to where I trust God and what He's doing in my life. So let me ask you, church, are you following God and praising Him only when it's easy and convenient? Or are you following and praising God when it's difficult and the world is crashing down around you? I've had to answer these questions a lot lately. And a true follower of God is one who follows and praises in the good times and the bad times because they are satisfied with God. I've been challenged by these questions, and I hope you are as well. Now, in the final three verses of this psalm, David finally comes to a conclusion. David sees, that the, uh, sees the world as it is and knows what awaits those who are truly apart from God. As he considers God and, and David's own circumstances, David re, uh, rejoices in God because he's reflected on God's character and worshiped. David's conclusion is that he is, uh, because he is so confident that it is better to be with God in the midst of affliction than in the world with this false sense of peace. And that's the third part of, of following God. We thirst after God. We're satisfied in God. And now the third part is that we have confidence in God rather than our circumstances, rather than our feelings, rather than even our desires or our, our intellect. Jesus tells us that we will have trouble in this world, but for us to not fear, not to fret, to not worry, because he has overcome the world. Our confidence rests in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our hope is that Jesus will take our pain, our frustration, our brokenness, our disappointments, our muck, our grossness, and turn it into something in this life that will glorify God and will benefit us so that we become spiritually mature. And I've been asking myself lately, as a result of of this study, does my confidence lie in God or in my circumstances, abilities, and desires? Especially over the last few months, I've been asking this question. In fact, Psalm 63 is is a psalm that I've gone to over and over and over in the last six months or so. You see, a few months ago, whenever I was diagnosed with colon cancer, I didn't worry about it. I was calm and I felt peace, but I had to ask myself, was that because I had confidence in God or in the doctor's? Did I trust that God was working for his glory and my good? Or were the doctors going to make everything better for me? Ultimately, I sought my peace and comfort in God, not in the doctors. I trusted that God was using the doctors in my life to help me. But my ultimate source of confidence was not in the doctor. It was in God himself. God has given us doctors and we should use them. They're good for us. But ultimately, it's God who works and wills in their lives for us, not the other way around. And so, because I'm following God, my confidence to navigate life should ultimately rest in Jesus and his care for me. 
if you're here today and you're seeking to follow God, ask yourself these questions to help you determine how close you're following God. We will all face trouble in life. It's a guarantee. But we're also called to truly follow God. We're here today because we claim that we're already following God in some capacity. But I was reminded recently of three types of people that claim to follow God. The first is those that claim to follow God and they follow in name only. They may attend church, they may read their Bibles, and they're genuinely nice people. But they truly aren't seeking God and they're not seeking His will for their lives. For them, faith is convenient. It's, it's something that can be practiced at their leisure. And they want to be a tourist in the kingdom of God, but a resident in their own kingdom. Those are not the ones that are truly following God. There's a second type of person, though, that, that carries the name Christian. And it's those that have true faith, but they follow at a distance. They, like Peter on the night that Jesus was arrested, follow from a distance seeking to protect themselves from pain and from challenges. God is still with them. God is still doing something in their lives, but they're scared to embrace the pain and affliction that come with the Christian life. And the third type of person to carry the name Christian is like David, as seen in this psalm. They admit when they are weary and full of pain. They admit that they don't like what's going on, but they bring it to God and trust Him. They thirst after God, seeking satisfaction in Him through Christ, having the confidence that God will never leave them nor forsake them. And it's this third type of Christian that I want to be. Every time I stand up here, it's an opportunity for me to give all the credit to God because of His goodness, His love, His care for me. And I never want to do anything that's self-serving or arrogant. I recognize that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul, in life and in death, to God through Jesus Christ, my Savior. And that's why this next part, I've been a little hesitant to share this week. Uh, through the counsel of, of Pastor Kevin, um, he encouraged me to share this, and I've been hesitant. Um, but I do so hoping to highlight the goodness and character of God. If you've been a part of Legacy for the last six months or so, you may have heard a little bit of our story, about my story. Um, this past year, Beck and I were expecting um, our first son. He was due around Thanksgiving, and uh, man, we were excited. If, if you're a parent, you know what that feels like. We were so excited. We were looking forward to, to Thanksgiving, not for the, the food, but, but for the birth of our son. Uh, but it was in the middle of September at a doctor's appointment that Beck did, Becca's doctor began to notice some abnormalities. He had her admitted to the hospital. She stayed for about a week and a half. Um, and it was during that visit that we noticed that um, our son's bladder was ruptured and he had cysts on his kidneys. Um, and it was through tests and, and through observation that we were able to determine that, that our son had a bilateral polycystic kidney disease. All that means is a bunch of cysts on both of his kidneys. Over the next couple months, Beck and I traveled back and forth between Dallas to doctors. We, we wanted to check on him. Um, we wanted to see if there was improvement. But because of the complications, he was also not growing the way he should. As we got closer to the due date, the more concerned the doctors became. Um, 
And so, so Rebecca and I. Um, and it was during that season that, that I prayed more than I think I've ever prayed before. Um, it's during that season that I began asking God for healing, for comfort. I prayed that it was a bad dream. Um, but I also prayed that I would remember that God is good and I worshiped God through prayer, through community, through music. And even though that Becca was put on bed rest in September, I still came every Sunday. And it's not because of my job. I didn't come because I'm supposed to. I came because I needed the body of Christ to pray with me, to encourage me, and remind me of how good God truly is. On November 19th, we were able to welcome Barnabas Thayer Foster into the world. I remember seeing him for the first time and thinking, no, he really is the most beautiful boy in the world. Um, and so uh, we, were, we were in the delivery room, and I just felt the peace and the presence of God like I'd never felt before. And at that moment, I thought, man, everything is going to be all right. Either the doctors were wrong or God decided to miraculously heal him, but it's going to be okay. The following day, we really didn't get a whole lot of time with Barnabas. There were just so many things wrong with his little body. He couldn't, he just couldn't keep going. He was a fighter, uh, but the problems were too, too many. Uh, we lost Barnabas just shy of 24 hours with him. And God did answer our prayers of healing, just in a different way than we wanted. And Beck and I still grieve the loss of our son. We still think of things that we should be doing, that we could be doing. But God. But God has seen fit for this experience to not be lost. God has seen that through these circumstances, he has made me to thirst for him even more, to be satisfied in him even more, to have confidence that God will always be with me, sustaining me every step of the way in the good times and the bad. The feeling of peace that I had in the delivery room that day, it was the peace that transcends all understanding because God was with us that day, as he had been before and as he still is. The reason I want to share our testimony today is because every painful step of this journey, we sought to follow God. He alone is worthy of worshiping and of trusting with every single ounce of our being. We haven't trusted blindly or in ease, we have sought him out in faith, asking for his peace, his strength, his comfort. We have thirsted for God, and he has satisfied our thirst, and he has given us more confidence in his love and character than we could have ever imagined. Praise be to God for his care and love for us. But here's the thing. We didn't just wake up and arrive at that place. It was a journey. There is so much to our story as Christians that I haven't told you, and it, this is not the place for me to share that. Look, if you, if you want to know more, buy me a cup of coffee and I can talk your, your ear off. But today, uh, I want us to, to know that the short version is that I was discipled by faithful men who loved the Lord and loved me. My faith and trust in God didn't just happen in the last six months uh, as a result of, of just waking up and having an issue. 
My faith and trust during the last six months is the result of walking with God and walking alongside faithful men who have shown me what it means to, to know God, to learn from Him, to worship Him. Men such as Bob Thayer, Steve Lewis, Zach Garza, Zach Workman, and our very own Kevin Boyd. These men have modeled for me what it means to thirst after Jesus, to be satisfied in Him, to have confidence in His plan and provision for my life, even in the frustrating and difficult times. We all need help in our journey of faith. These men helped me by discipling me. My prayer is that every person in this room is currently being discipled and is discipling someone else. I really do hope that my story helps glorify God today and encourages you more than anything else. If you're here today and you're going through cancer, through divorce, through loss, through confusion, through any number of life's afflictions, I want to encourage you, continue following God. Pursue Him because He is pursuing you. And if you don't believe that, and I know it's so hard to believe that at times, If you don't, I want to invite you to talk with one of the pastors. We would love to to listen to you, to pray with you, to help you discern where God is moving in your life. But if you're here today and you're saying, look, I just want to follow God. How do I follow Him deeper? Am I even following God? I want you to take an inventory of your life to see if you're truly following Him. I want you to ask yourself, Am I thirsting after God daily? Do I have a thirst that only He can satisfy? How can I pursue Him daily? I also want you to ask yourself, does my satisfaction in life come from God's character and presence? Or does it come from the temporal things? Ask yourself, does my confidence in this life and the next lie with God? Or does it lie in my abilities, my career, my relationships, my desires? My hope is that you can answer each one of these questions openly and honestly. Not only with yourself, but with God. Look, you might even need to invite someone in to this process with you. This whole series is about being and making disciples. Disciples are those that thirst for God, are satisfied by God, and have confidence in God through Jesus. It's clearly a process. It takes time to grow, and it takes others helping us. But we must be intentional with our discipleship. We cannot treat it like we're a tourist, doing things at our convenience or if it's easy. Instead, we must treat it like the duties and responsibilities of a resident. And if you truly are following God, Your responsibility as a resident of the kingdom is to be a disciple and to make disciples. And what Pastor Patrick preached on a few weeks ago is so helpful for us to remember that a part of our job in making disciples is baptizing people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so whether you've been following God for a long time or you're new or you're just still figuring it out, I want to invite you After service, we will have a short baptism class. If you're needing to be baptized, if you want to be baptized, if you're curious about what baptism is, I invite you to come to baptism class. We can meet uh, out in the hall, and, and I can show you where we'll be meeting. 
And don't worry, we thought through this. We're trusting that God will bring people. And so we have lunch. We have tacos if you stay for the baptism class. It's in the Greek somewhere. You should always have tacos. So, but seriously, my prayer is that we can answer these questions honestly. Trust that God is working and beginning, begin finding ways to mature in our faith, both individually and as a community. Let us pray, church. Good and gracious Father, I thank you for the fact that you and your word have seen fit to show us what it means to follow after you. As simple as it is in Psalm 63, to thirst after you, to be satisfied in you, to have our confidence in you. Lord God, I ask that for myself, that I would thirst after you daily, that I would not uh, approach the body of Christ or my role in serving people as a job, but that I would approach it as a way to thirst after you and trusting that only you can satisfy that thirst, trusting that only you can provide the confidence for my life through affliction and through joy. I pray for every individual in this room and online, God, work in their lives in such a way that they too thirst after you, that they are satisfied in you, that they have their confidence in you. For those who are struggling with who you are and where you're working, God, I I pray that your spirit emboldens them to talk to others about that. Allow us to walk alongside one one another so that we can disciple each other, so that we can help one another uh, towards love and good deeds, that we can help one another spiritually mature in our lives. God, I thank you for your provision in my life. And I pray that your provision would be abundant and clear in the lives of those who call legacy home. Lord God, I love you. I thank you for the way that you're working and willing here at Legacy. I pray all these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ by the power of your spirit to the glory of you, O Father. Amen.